We are so blessed to have such an amazing team here. Go ahead and be seated. Uh, I'm excited today to, to wrap up the series we've been on called Words I Need to Say. And I think it's been beneficial, and I hope that as we've been going through it, that you've tested the water a little bit, that you've taken some of the challenges, and we'll have another challenge for you today about actually getting some of those words that we need to say out there. But as we are going through Thanksgiving, I mean, I think you, you have to have a pretty good guess about what we're going to talk about on Sunday after Thanksgiving when it comes to words we need to say. But as, as we prepare for that, I couldn't help but be a little bit inspired by Jimmy Fallon when I think about Thanksgiving. And if we have any Jimmy Fallon fans in here, you've probably seen him write a few thank you cards before. And so I think it's only beginning that we start, it's, it's, it's only fitting that we begin there. It's only fitting that we start with, with a few thank you cards. So if you guys don't mind, I'm going to grab my thank you cards out. And I don't have my pen, so I'm going to pretend to write them in front of you. All right? So we, we've got a nice backdrop for us. Um, but these are our own Cape Coral edition of thank you notes. Maybe, wait. There it is. There's the pen. It works better now. Thank you, Christmas decorations for making me feel hostile before Thanksgiving and sentimental after Thanksgiving. Anyone else feel that way? It's not time for the lights yet. And then afterwards, oh, that's beautiful. I, I know that, that happens on my neighborhood at least. So, Thank you, Turkey Trot 5K, for reminding me how out of shape I am right before I spend the day overeating. Anybody else? Do you have any 5K runners? Anyone do the turkey trot here in Cape Coral? Yeah, that's awesome. My wife and kids did, so they did much better than I did this Thanksgiving on that. Here we go. Thank you, snowbirds, for helping the rest of us slow down and enjoy the scenery. It's so nice to have you guys back. We really do love you, I promise. All right. Thank you, cherry pie for not being rhubarb pie. Anyone else ever take a bite of rhubarb pie expecting cherries before? Am I the only one who's done that? It's a terrifying, most of you probably have never even seen a rhubarb pie. Who makes pies out of vegetables? Come on, people. All right. Thank you, Cape Coral, for having the easiest and the most complicated street names in the world. Everyone I know who lives here, they say, oh, it's the easiest thing in the world. It's the best system. And I'm like, I'm looking for Fifth Avenue Southeast. And people are like, Terrace, Street, Court, Place, Avenue, Boulevard, which one? Because they're all 10 miles apart from each other. If you're new here, you know what I'm talking about. <sighs> Thank you, Thanksgiving dinner, for getting me so excited to eat foods that I will literally not want to eat again for an entire year. Oh, Thanksgiving's the best. Do you want to eat this tomorrow? No. No, I don't. Thank you, everything that's across the bridge, for feeling impossibly far away. I would rather drive 30 minutes through Cape Coral than 15 minutes across the bridge, and I don't know why. Right. Last one. Thank you, season traffic, for being the only thing that tells us when the season really changes. It's our only marker here in southwest Florida, but we love it. 
It, it, it's fun. Thankfulness is fun. You can be thankful for silly things. You can be thankful for real things. And as, as we talk about this today, we're going to look in a passage in Deuteronomy chapter 8. So if you have your Bibles, you can flip there. But I think this passage does a really good job at identifying this common struggle that we have with thankfulness. And, and I say it's common because it's been going on for thousands of years in people's lives. And you, you'll see it in here, and we'll talk about it, starting in chapter 8, verses 10 through 18 of Deuteronomy. And we'll project the words on the screen as well. When you have eaten your fill, you can see how it ties into Thanksgiving already, right? When you have eaten your fill, and this is Moses talking to Israel as they're getting ready to step into their promised land. When you have eaten your fill, be sure to praise the Lord, your God, for the good land he has given you. But that is the time to be careful Beware that in your plenty you do not forget the Lord your God and disobey his commands, regulations, and decrees that I'm giving you today. For when you have become full and prosperous and have built fine homes to live in, and when your flocks and herds have become very large and your silver and gold have multiplied along with everything else, be careful. Do not become proud at that time and forget the Lord your God who rescued you from slavery in the land of Egypt. Do not forget that he led you through great and terrifying wilderness with its poisonous snakes and scorpions, where it was hot, so hot and dry. He gave you water from the rock. He fed you with manna in the wilderness, a food unknown to your ancestors. He did this to humble and test you for your own good. He did all this so you would never say to yourself, I have achieved this wealth with my own strength and energy. Remember the Lord your God. He is the one who gives you power to be successful in order to fulfill the covenant he confirmed to your ancestors with an oath. I find this passage incredibly interesting for a number of different reasons. And first of all, I want to just identify there's nothing wrong with having a fine home. The passage isn't talking about there being anything wrong with having a fine home, with having wealth, with having nice things. It's not saying any of that. But it's identifying this truth that once we have all of those things that we have been wanting... That is when we need to be very careful because it's so easy to take all of these blessings and turn them into pride. I've got to grab something off stage here to, to help illustrate this. If any of you guys have ever attempted to feed a two-year-old, you're about to know what I'm talking about. As I think about this, this is the way that, that I see it. If you've ever had a two-year-old child in your home, first of all, you know you don't wear nice clothes and feed a two-year-old because that's, they're not going to stay nice. Because when you give food to this two-year-old child who was probably screaming for food and melting down 15 minutes ago because that's their normal communication method when they're hungry, to scream and melt down. You put them in the chair, you give them the food that they've been asking for, but because it's the wrong quantity, not quite the right color, or a little bit different than what they expected, first of all, you give them a plate of food, the whole plate is just gone. And so, as a parent, you smarten up. You don't give them all of the food on one plate. You put it on the tray that they can't throw. And so you put some food down. So only some of the food gets thrown away and thrown off of the tray. And, and as a parent, you begin this process with a two-year-old through the next year of their life, training them, you don't take the things that I've given you and just toss them. All right? It, it's, it's this beginning of this process of beginning to say, when I give you something, you, you need to not throw it. I had to have a very serious conversation with my one-and-a-half-year-old, Anthony, because in the Erminger household, we do not waste pizza, all right? We may waste a lot of things, but never pizza, 
Okay, so when we, yeah, exactly. So when we put pizza on his tray and he began just throwing it, and he likes to go both directions because he understands we can cover one side of the field, but we can't cover both. So he just goes both directions with it and kind of grab the hands and talk to him and say, hey, no, we don't do that. You are hungry. This is what you eat. And for some reason, if I put it on a fork and hand you the fork, you'll eat it, but you don't want to just pick it up. I don't understand. But, but that's how kids are. And this is a very elementary place to be. But, but the, the thing that we want to instill in them, and we teach them not to throw, we teach them to begin to pray at this age, we, be, we teach them the normal table behaviors, we teach them to be thankful. When, when we're at someone's house and they bring our kid food, we're really good about doing this at other people's house. We say, what do you say to them? Once they bring the food, and, and we teach the kid to say thank you. And, and the reason that I talk through this is just the simple truth that being thankful is not an innate behavior. It's something that they have to learn. I think we've all seen probably someone else's kid, never our own kid, go to a parent and say, where's my food? As if the parent is like the servant to this child. Like we've seen that happen where this kid just has decided it's okay for me to just be like, where's my food, servant? Get it ready, get it on the table. And we've seen that attitude and most of us want to like help that parent out with a little, you know, let's fix this situation. Um, because, but it's just the truth that unless children are taught to be thankful time and time again, they're never going to display that behavior. It doesn't just happen by accident. And that's the first truth that I want us to see today is that being thankful, it's not an emotion, it's a practice. Being thankful is not an emotion, it's a practice. It's not about just what you feel, but it's about what you display. With your friends or your spouse or your significant other, if, if you continually did things for them and they never verbalized that they were, they were thankful, but they felt it inside, it wouldn't help the relationship. Thankfulness needs to be communicated, not just felt internally. And so we have to step into the practice. We teach our kids how to do it, how to step into the practice of saying thank you, of making sure people know that you're thankful. It kind of gets fuzzy a little bit as we grow with our relationships and other things outside of food and giving gifts. And Thanksgiving is the right time to stop and think. Just even the word giving thanks, actually giving it. We need to practice this. This is, this is part of the spiritual disciplines of being thankful. And in this passage, Moses was talking about the land that they were going to give. And it says, be sure to praise the Lord your God for the good land. It says that in verse 10. But honestly, in looking at our own lives, we could say, be sure to praise the Lord your God for the Fill in the blank. There's countless things in your life right now that are tremendous blessings that you can look at and say, God, I am thankful for, for the house, for the car, for my spouse, for my friends. It's not hard for us to come up with these things. And the, the struggle is in making sure that the things that we're thankful for don't begin to replace God in our life. There's a a pastor named Francis Chan, and I love his teaching style and, and the way that he teaches. And one of the times that I saw him at an event and he was teaching, and he talked about his daughter was just absolutely crazy for cats. And she begged and begged and begged to get a cat for, for months into years. And finally he said, you know what, I, I think I'm going to do it. And they had this normal activity. He knew what to expect when he got home. He would get home from work and he would hear the footsteps just like banging down the hallway as soon as he got there. And she would jump up, give him the tackle hug, daddy's home. You know, back when kids w would just 
would do that and would just give you that, that huge hug and affection and kiss. So glad that you're home. I don't know why they grow out of that, but they seem to do it. But she was doing that, and, and every day that's what happened. And one of the days he decided, I'm going to bring a cat home with me, and I'm going to give her this cat. And so she came stomping down the hallway, gave him the huge hug. He gave her the cat. She freaked out. She was so excited. She, she was he named the cat petting the cat, learning what she needed to do to take care of it. And the next day, he's like, I can't wait to see how excited my daughter is today. And he came through the front door, and there were no steps on the hall. And he's like, oh, I wonder if they're out somewhere. But he hears talking from her room, and so he goes up to her, her room, and he, he says, hey, dad's home. And she said, got the cat, and she's like, yeah, okay. And a little hate relationship began between Francis and his daughter's cat in that moment. Okay, it's just new. She'll get over this tomorrow. No footsteps in the hall. Next day, no footsteps in the hall. And, and the hate, I think, each day just grew for the cat a little bit. And, and, and then the third day, when he got home, he heard a cry come out from her room. And he went to check on her, and her hand was bleeding. Because, I'm sorry, I'm not a cat person, so I apologize for the lack of affection here. Um, because cat, the cat did what cats do. You're petting it. And it's like, oh, I love this. I think I'll bite you now. And so it bit her hand and drew blood because it's a cat. And, and Francis looked at this and said, oh, I really hate to do this, but I think we're going to have to get rid of the cat. We can't have a cat that, that, that'll hurt you like that. And the daughter was a little scared. And so they got rid of the cat. And the next day, when he got home, Footsteps in the hallway again. And as a dad, you kind of hate to get rid of the cat, but you kind of love to have the affection of your child again. And, and the whole illustration of the story is how crazy is, is it that we can become so preoccupied with a blessing that our Father would give us that we completely erase any of our time for Him. That, that the point of the gift isn't to draw us away from the Father, but to bring us closer, for Him to show his affection to us. And God has poured so many blessings into our life. We've said, man, God has given me this and I'm so thankful for it, but because I have it, I just don't have the time for God right now. God has given me this tremendous blessing uh, of, of my family, of my work, of my boat, of whatever it is that because I have this blessing that God give, has given me, I just don't have time for God right now. And we see how backwards that is. God loves to pour great things out into our life, but if they become something that draw us away from him, it's going to be something that eventually needs to come out of our life. What Moses was identifying in this passage is that if we don't take the blessings that he's poured into our life and turn them back to praises, those blessings turn into pride. That we begin to think, I've earned this land. I've earned these resources. I've earned this wealth, and it's mine independent of anything God did. It's just about me, and it turns into pride if we don't take those blessings and turn them back into praises. And so in our own life, we have to look at the great things that God has given us and, and verbalize that. And it's just that elementary thing of saying, God has given me this, and I am thankful for it. And it guards our heart against pride. It guards our heart against turning our priorities around to where we just care about being with the blessing that God give it, gave us and not being with our Heavenly Father. And so we have to continually just look at the things that God's given us and say thank you. And, and so looking at that statement of being sure to praise God for the, I wonder what your for the is. And, and in fact, I challenge you over lunch today, 
Can you name four for this? That's easy enough to remember, right? Four for this. As you guys are talking, just the simple things. What are the things that God has blessed us with that we're thankful for? Us as a family, what are four of the things that we're thankful with for that God has given us? And, and, and discuss that because those are words that need to be said in our life. And continuing on, we, we see the need to, to say these are the things that we've been blessed with, but that I really believe that that's like the elementary state of thankfulness. And, and the behaviors that are normal at that state of life are not considered normal when you're, giving, when you're given a seat at the adult table. I think all of us remember the time where we got to move from the kid table to, to the adult table and how exciting that was to no longer you know, be at the little two, two foot tall chairs. Uh, but the behaviors, they have to be different. If you're throwing your food, if you're looking at the table and saying, I don't want green beans on my plate, and you take them and you throw them on the person next to you, that is not going to be welcomed at this table. All right? There's an understanding, there's a maturity that has to be there to begin to sit in this seat that says, I understand there are some things that are here that I wouldn't necessarily pick, but I understand that they have a place here in my life. They have a place here on my plate in front of me. Uh, we're, we're, the, the next picture of thankfulness, the first one is from Moses. This next one is from David, and it's in Psalm 23, which is a familiar passage that, that we hear in lots of different places. We hear this at funerals. It's, a, it's a, a teaching that I've taught on a little bit here in the past, but it comes in Psalm chapter 23. And we're going to project the words on the screen, starting at verse 1. And it says, the Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths, bringing honor to his name. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid. For you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You honor me by anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessings. Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will live in the house of the Lord forever. I want to focus right in to the statement, even when I walk through the darkest valleys. I think that there's a fear in a large part of the American church that if we tell God that we have all that we need, that he's just not going to give us anything else. That if we don't have some sort of discontent with our situation, that that God is going to just stop blessing us. And I feel like we have to have this picture of things not being enough. But I love the heart in this passage that says, the Lord is my shepherd, I have all that I need. And then even when, even when I walk through the darkest valleys. I think that you guys can probably identify some even when moments in your life. Those moments when things were not difficult. When the plate did not have strawberries, the plate just had green beans. Right? Um, soggy green bean casserole. Even when. For, for us, we, we've lived through some interesting times in our life. We, we lived through some difficult years when we lived in Toledo, Ohio. And we lived in a small house that backed up to a trailer park in a railroad track. And it was not one of the good trailer parks that you find down here. It was one of the bad trailer parks that you don't even want to walk through in the daytime. And, and there's times where we said, God, is this really where you want us to be? And he taught us to be content, content even in that place. And, and that's not a hard thing, but even when we lose the job, even when the diagnosis is cancer, even when our family is struggling, To be able to find a way 
say, I know that God is still with me, to be able to be thankful to God during the even when moments of life. I believe it's not just possible, but it's important. And this, this is the truth that I want you to take from this passage is that we can express thankfulness in the midst of difficulty. And I don't say these statements lightly because, man, some, some of the families in our church, they just had recent deaths. We have people who close friends have passed away. We have a friend that's dear to our family who was just diagnosed with cancer. And she has young children, and she's at the beginning of a fight. And I understand there are some real struggles that we walk through. But I want to tell you, in the midst of those struggles, one of the best things that you can begin to do is verbalize the things that you are thankful for. Because it's going to reorient your heart that everything is not going to crumble. That even when I walk through here, I know that God will walk through here with me. And we can express thankfulness in the midst of difficulty. And sometimes I, I think, you know, we can compare this to a recipe. When we look over our life and we look at the situations we've walked through, there's definitely things in there that we wouldn't have wanted. Just like some of the best recipes, when you look at them and you take the individual ingredients, you might say, I may not like this ingredient, but when it's mixed in with everything else, it creates something delicious. I would never take a handful of flour and just shove it into my mouth. That would be disgusting. It would be like glue. But when it mixes in with other things, it creates delicious carbohydrates that I can still eat. And, and you know, bread and pizza and all those things. We understand that things by themselves, when we look at them in isolation, it can be terrible. When we look at just the difficult time. But I think that you'll find if you look over the course of your life, you look at the sufferings and the difficulties that you've walked through, that you'll find those all worked together. And when I look at through the scope of my life, of the great things and the terrible things, God has used all of those things to bring me to the person that I need to be in this day. So that I can be the best father, the best mother, the best husband, the best wife, the best employee, the best person that I can because I walked through those difficult times. And as I see other people going through struggles, I can encourage them and say, I've seen a struggle like that before too. But this is what the tail end of it looks like. Even when I walked through that, God was still with me. And so even though you're at the beginning of a fight with cancer, I have walked through that before and this is what it looks like. And one of the best things is being able to say, I've walked through those terrible times, but you're going to make it through because I made it through. And some of you guys are at the beginning, and some of you guys are at the tail end. And being able to be in that situation and say, I am thankful to God for the good things that he's given me, even in the midst of this struggle. It's going to strengthen you for your walk, and it's going to enable you to encourage other people. And, and so the, the, the beginning of the, the, the assignment I have for you is four Four simple for this. Four, four things that I'm thankful for. But can your family talk about eight even those? And there's twice as many because I think they're twice as important. But even though years ago we had to walk through that, we learned that God was with us. Even though we're not sure what's going to happen with this, we know that God is going to take us by the right hand and, and be with us every step of the journey. And I know that this is, you know, this is wading into a new area. This is a new area of discussion for you to try with your family. And I understand, husbands, your wife is probably going to make you do this, and it's a little uncomfortable. But be strong. Be courageous. It's going to be okay. And in fact, I think you're going to actually find that it's good for you guys. 
This isn't a normal part of our culture, just like the very beginning. It's a behavior, it's a practice that we have to learn and develop. And when we look at the things and we say, even though we walk through that, when we face new struggles, we'll know that we have the ability to overcome them. Because the fact is that there's some struggles that we faced that we know we can get through. There's some that we'll, we haven't faced that, that we're not going to be sure of. But we know this, that there's a struggle that someone else has gone through that's greater than any of the ones we have. Which brings us to our next picture that I want to look at from Scripture, which is 1 Corinthians 11 and, and verse 23. And this is the Apostle Paul's description of communion. And it gives us a picture of what Jesus was doing on the night before he was betrayed. And in chapter 11, verse 23 of 1 Corinthians, it says, The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. The, the third thing that I want us to see is that we follow Jesus' example of how to be thankful. Because Jesus was about to be betrayed. And I just want to stop it because this, this is something that we may not always think of. But scripture is very clear that when Jesus was going through the crucifixion, and he, he was going through the physical process, and that was terrible and painful, but there's also a spiritual and emotional process that was happening too. It describes that the weight of the sin of the world was placed on him. And when we think of the moments where we've experienced anxiety and worry, that the night before Jesus was going to be betrayed and he was going to experience the full weight and pressure of the sin of the world on his shoulders, He took bread and he gave thanks and he broke it and he taught his disciples. And I find this to be one of the most powerful pictures of giving thanks, of being in a situation where you know this is not going to be easy. And still being able to be thankful. It's challenging, it's difficult, but it's also a source of strength. It's not just difficult, but it's also something that's going to help you know, I'm going to make it through this. To be able to give thanks in the midst of difficulty is going to empower you to overcome the difficulties that you're facing. And the example that we follow is the example of how Jesus lived. Our faith, it should always be taking motion. It should be always moving us into actions. And giving thanks isn't a silent attitude, but it's something that must be heard by other people and it must be heard by us because even as we say it, it lifts up our heart. And today is going to be, it's kind of an exciting day for us because as a church, this is our first time we're going to take communion together as a church. And it's just so fitting with thanksgiving and with this theme of giving thanks. And for us, the, the, the statement of communion, if you didn't realize this, but taking communion is actually a statement of your own personal faith. And what it, what it taught in that passage was Jesus said, when, whenever you guys do this, he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. So there's the two pieces of saying, okay, do this in remembrance of me. And then the third piece, for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. 
There's a statement that comes from communion that is personal to you. And so we as a church, the way that we understand this is anyone who has a personal belief in Jesus Christ is welcome at the communion table with us. You don't have to go through a class. You don't have to be raised in a certain tradition. It's none of that. For us, it's do you have a personal faith in Jesus Christ? Because the act of taking communion is is a a statement that says, this is what I believe. And so anyone who believes is welcome. Ushers, if you guys will begin to come take your positions and uh, band, if you go ahead and start making your way back up on stage. As we take communion today, just a few really basic instructions. We're going to have a station here, a station here, and one in the back, and you can go to whichever one's closest to you. I encourage you to go down the middle aisles and then back up and around, and it'll just make it flow more easily. Um, germaphobes, don't worry. You're going to take a cracker. It's not going to be shared with anyone else. You don't have to tear it off. It's already broken. And you're going to take a cup, and you're going to drink it. We don't have to dip in the same cup or drink from the same cup, so you're okay. All right? It's going to be good. And, and then once you've taken communion, you can be seated. But before we do, communion is also a time of personal reflection. It's kind of a heart check time. I say, God, is there anything that I've been allowing to get in my way as I live my life for you? And I encourage you, as we step into this first communion together, just pause and ask, God, have I allowed any of the blessings you've given me to get in, in between, in the way? You know, <laughs> am I sitting in the room with that cat when I should be running after my heavenly father? And if you have, just begin to say, thank you, God, for the blessings you've given me. I want to put it in the right order. And just take a minute or two to silently reflect and ask, God, is there anything you need to show me? And as you feel ready and and led, come and take a piece of the bread, take a cup, take communion together today as a church family. We pray. Lord, we thank you for the many blessings you've poured into our life. We thank you for the things that we love and are excited about. And we thank you for the difficulties that we've walked through because we've learned to trust that your hand is always with us. And we thank you, Jesus, that you walked through the most difficult circumstance of all. That you died on a cross for our sins. And that you rose from the grave to show that you have victory over death and sin. And that you've given that victory to us. And so as we take communion today, we proclaim that truth, that Jesus, you died and you bled to pay for our sin. And we celebrate you today. It's in your name we pray.